0: Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the the world hates you. But remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me.
1: Well, thank you, Jenna and Miriam. Now, Jesus' words, I am the vine, you are the branches, are so well known that they even featured on Top Gear. In their Polar Express episode, James May and and Jeremy Clarkson are in their ute driving to the North Pole, worrying about falling in their ute through the frozen sea ice. And so, to allay their fears, James May, pulls out a Jesus action figure, and when you pulled the cord in the back, which he did, out came the words, I am the vine, you are the branches. It was kind of meant as a kind of talisman to keep them safe. Now, whatever I am the vine, you are the branches means, it's not that, <laughs> okay? So let's, let's pray and ask that God would help us to understand what he means. Our loving Father, um, Jesus speaks about remaining in him, He speaks about remaining in the word, his words, and so help us now to remain in his words and we ask that this would bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so John chapter 15, which we've just had read, is a kind of pivot chapter in Jesus' last words to his disciples, which occupy five chapters in in the Gospel of John. Up until now, John 13, 14, he has been showing them his love, comforting them, answering their questions. But now in John 15, he pivots from reassuring them in their doubts to speaking about what he and his Father want them to do. In short, the Father wants them and us to be fruitful. Now, so hands up. Hands up if in your Christian life, your walk with Christ, if assuming this is you, um, you want to be fruitful. Okay, hands up if you want to be pruned. <laughs> right, guess what? The surprise of John 15 is you can't have it both ways. Just listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So the father wants fruit from Jesus' disciples. Unfruitful branches are cut off, but did you notice that branches that bear fruit are also cut, pruned? to be more fruitful. When you think about it, either way, fruit or no fruit, there is a cutting involved. So, you've just heard that. Let me ask you now, does this reassure you? Or does it unnerve you? It's very easy to be unnerved, isn't it? To hear that unfruitful branches will be cut off because then we begin asking, well, am I fruitful enough? What if I have never personally led anyone to faith in Christ? Is, is that unfruitfulness? What if I've never shared the gospel with someone or I haven't done it enough? Um, does that mean that I am dead wood to the Father and that he's going to cut me off? It's very easy to approach John 15 and use it as a passage to beat up on ourselves. But that is to miss two keys which Um, which make what Jesus says not unnerving, but instead reassuring. The first is that Jesus doesn't say, I am the vine. Did you notice that? He says, I am the true vine. The true vine. Maybe you missed that. In saying he's the true vine, he's comparing himself obviously to a, a, a fake or a false vine. What is that? That is the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, in places like Isaiah and also the Psalms, Israel was likened to a vine. And it was meant to bear fruit, with its branches spreading out to the nations, with fruit so delicious and wonderful, the nations couldn't help but come, like people do to the Riverland, and taste and see that the Lord is good. But if Israel was a vine, the problem was its branches were fruitless. They had not attracted the nations in and indeed when her Messiah turned up, instead of welcoming him, (laughs) they rejected him and were in fact at that moment, the very moment Jesus was speaking these words, plotting to have him executed. Judas himself, one of the 12, had shared in their plot and only minutes earlier had left their meal to betray Jesus, unfruitful. Now in contrast to the failed vine of Israel, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Meaning that although the father will cut off the dead wood, the Jewish leadership, Judas, if you as branches remain connected to me, he's saying, me the vine, guess what? You will bear fruit. Because the fruit in the branches comes from the nourishment of the vine. Well what about the pruning? The good news for his disciples is that they had already been pruned. Look at verse three. You are already pruned. Now, our NIV Bible has the word clean, but the word is katharos, from which we get the word cathartic, right? Which means cutting off what is dead to clean or purify something. So years ago, I was gardening, I was using secateurs to cut the roots of some agapanthers, and in my hurry to get the job done, I accidentally sliced into deep into my thumb, all right? And I went to see my local GP, who was Kerry, sitting down the back. I'm not breaching your confidentiality, I'm breaching mine, all right? So <laughs> Kerry cleaned the wound, sewed me up, but after a while, the skin on the edge of my wound had died. Right? And it had to be cut off. You know, if you pushed it together, it would never re knit. It had to be cut off, the wound made clean. And so I cut it off. But of course, it didn't hurt because it was dead, right? It was completely dead. It would not grow. Now, listen to the words again I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that is he cuts, same word, so that it will be even more fruitful. And then he says, you are already clean, the same word, you are already pruned, already cut, already cutterized, so as to be made clean. Now that is reassuring. The way that they have already been carterized, if that is such a word, is because of the word that Jesus has spoken to them. They, the 11, have accepted Jesus' words. They may not have understood them all, but they haven't rejected them, not like Judas, not like the Jewish leaders. So their siding with Jesus' words meant that they have already been pruned and that means that they are going now to bear fruit. So Jesus' words about pruning are strangely reassuring. To the disciples on that night, they explained Judas' fall, he has been cut off, because by rejecting the words of Jesus, he made himself dead to Jesus, he bore no fruit. Jesus' words to his disciples here give perspective on the times ahead. There will be times of pruning, but that will be okay. The result is fruitfulness. His words reassure them, you are already pruned and cleaned because of the word I have spoken to you. So there are two truths which Jesus touches on here. Bearing fruit, being pruned. These two truths define discipleship from this moment on. These two truths Jesus unpacks in the two halves of the passage. Verses 4 to 16, bearing fruit, Verses 17 to 31, being pruned. The first truth comes out in verse 16, where Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The second truth comes out in verse 19, I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He's speaking about the reality of persecution. These are the twin truths of discipleship the lives of Jesus' disciples will be marked by fruitfulness and pruning, profit and cost, being joyful and being hated. I want you to see the wisdom of the Lord Jesus, that the very thing that we want to separate out in our minds, Jesus holds them together. We separate them. We want the fruit, but not the pruning. We want the glory, but not the pain. But notice that the very thing that we naturally separate apart, Jesus brings together. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You see? Now, some of you know Craig Broman, who's a very keen gardener. I lived next door to Craig for five years. On the bordering our property was a Fajoa tree. Um, He taught me to like Fajoas. they're lovely. Craig told me he was going to prune it. Now when I hear that, I think that means, oh, you just tidy it up, you know, just make it look nice. For Craig, if he had a chainsaw, he would have brought it out, he didn't, but it it involved heavy duty bush saws. And um, the secret, um, sorry, he, he, he really got into it, And after two years, basically reducing it to a primitive stump, it produced an abundance of fruit, much more than if I'd been responsible for its pruning. Fruitfulness and pruning go hand in hand together. So now we're coming to the first point about bearing fruit. This will occupy most of the talk, all right? Now you and I might think that the key to bearing fruit is for us to try harder. But when you think about it, when you see a branch off a vine, um, or sorry, coming off the vine, yeah, it's not working harder, you don't see it. Just trying harder, okay, stressing. The secret for that branch to bear fruit is for it to remain attached to the vine. And so too with us and Jesus, the secret to bearing fruit is to remain in the vine. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Now that point is almost so obvious that it, you know, it doesn't need to be said. You don't see a branch that's fallen on the ground producing fruit. So too Jesus says, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me because I am the vine and you are the branches. So positively, he says, if you remain in me and I in you, guess what? You will bear much fruit. Negatively, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, last Sunday afternoon, I preached via Zoom to a Baptist church in Karachi in Pakistan. A pastor's wife had picked up on the Facebook devotions I'd been doing and had reached out to me via Facebook and asked me to preach at their church. Okay, Uh, I've never been to Pakistan. I don't know much about Pakistan. I know it went through terrible floods recently. And I thought, what have I got to offer them? The only thing that I had was to be able to tell them about Jesus and so I did and it was clunky and it was cumbersome. It was via translation, via Zoom, tricky because the translation was slower than I thought. I thought we'd achieved this great little, you know, no, it was clunky, say that again, <laughs> right? And the internet kept dropping out, <laughs> oh my goodness. I made it through two-thirds of the message, which I'd made short before we all decided to give up. Later on, the pastor's wife rang me, and she said, Chris, what you said was really good. It fed us. I thought, why? How how did did that attempt manage to feed you? She said, you know, here in our church, most of the messages are, here's what you have to do, here's what you shouldn't do. You spoke to us about Jesus. Who'd have thought? (laughs) He was all I had to offer, but guess what? He was all I needed to offer. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If we stay in the vine, stay with Christ, guess what, we will bear fruit. At the time Jesus spoke to his disciples, the thought amongst the disciples that they, 11 remaining men, could grow into a movement larger than the Pharisees would have been boggling. At the time John wrote this account, there now would have been thousands of Christians. But of course today, the movement has grown to countless millions And who is it through, through very impressive Christians? No, through ordinary, unimpressive, often fractious, difficult believers in Jesus who simply remain in the vine and who didn't leave. Because if there's one thing that's true, it's that no fruit comes through leaving him. If you do not remain in me, says Jesus, As a branch, that means you've killed yourself and you've killed any chance of bearing fruit. You are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, for us sitting here, it's impossible to hear those words and not be pained in our memory by people, perhaps even family members who we love, who once in their lives confessed a lively faith in Christ but since have walked away, all right? Now clearly what Jesus is saying here is a warning to those who haven't walked away. But what about those who have? Is all hope lost? Well not necessarily. It takes time to remain in Christ, doesn't it? And I'm guessing it also takes time to not remain in him. Ultimately it's up to them and God, but clearly if someone no longer takes Jesus seriously, verse two is a warning. The day of judgment, the day of burning hasn't happened yet. There is still time for them to come back. But remember that the main intended audience for Jesus' words is not Judas, but it's those who remain. It's the remaining 11. These are the words, we we who are here, we are the ones that Jesus is speaking to. And he's giving this sort of warning as an encouragement to keep going with Christ. Do you wanna bear fruit that lasts? You've got to remain in him. Keep walking with him, keep trusting in him, keep living in him, keep living for him. Jesus says us bearing much fruit is to his Father's glory, showing ourselves to be his disciples. Now so far we've heard that bearing fruit is almost automatic for the disciple who remains with Jesus. Fruit comes from remaining in the vine. But nevertheless, there are things to do, and I call this the job of friends. You may have noticed the staggering thing about verse 14 is that Jesus calls his disciples friends. Now they were his friends, but it's not a term that Jesus often uses, so why does he use it here? It's because he lets his disciples in on his plans. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you that you would bear fruit in my name. Jesus calls his disciples friends because you share your plans with your friends. And Jesus lets them in. There are things that he wants them to do. There are things that he wants us to do and it all contributes to the yield of the crop. The first part is letting his words stay in us. Verse eight, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, does this mean that if only I ask, I've got a free ticket on a Ferrari? Okay, no, because it's, it's as I let Jesus' words remain in me that I, and as I think on them, that I'm beginning to increasingly think like Jesus does. And when I think like Jesus does, it's plain as day that he doesn't want me to have a Ferrari. He has much better things in mind, much more lasting things in mind than a stupid Ferrari. He has the needs of others. He has our own uh, integrity, our own godliness, showing love to enemies, serving like he has done. um, helping damaged people you know, experience his grace and mercy and forgiveness. These are the prayers that Jesus says he will answer to the Father's glory, the fruit of our prayers, if we remain in his word. The second part is obeying him. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, you can read that and think the way you become Jesus' friend is by obeying him. That's not what he's saying. The idea is that because his disciples are his friends, we will obey him. His friends will obey him. And so you are my friends if you do what I command. What does Jesus command specifically? Well, he tells us, verse 12, my command is this, to love each other as I have loved you And if we want to know how he's loved us, he tells us. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Just like in John 13, Jesus served his disciples by washing their feet and then he told them to do what he had done, to wash one another's feet. So now he tells us to love one another as he has loved us, sacrificially, by laying down his life for one's friends, which he is about to do in a matter of hours, right? So obey him, love, sacrificially like that. The third part is to go. I have appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now this is subtle, but it's there. I said earlier that John that this chapter marks a shift in Jesus' conversation with his disciples in these chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. In chapters 13 and 14, he's dealing with their felt needs, their issues, their concerns. Then at the end of chapter 14, if you've got your Bibles there, chapter 14, verse 31, he says, Rise, let us go, and then he keeps talking for chapters 15, 16, and 17. Did you ever think that was odd? I mean, what's he doing? Is he sort of leaning, getting up, and sort of leaning in the doorway and saying, oh, by the way, you know, another three chapters. (laughs) Um, What's going on? More likely, I think, John is signaling there's a change in emphasis. Chapters 15, 16, to 17 are about what he wants the disciples to be now doing. His agenda is for them to go. Now one thought, last year in January, Mark Peterson came and preached to us on the book of Acts. And do you remember, he challenged us as a church to pray that from this church, either a family or a person would be raised up and sent with CMS to work cross-culturally. Do you remember? Have you ever prayed that since? Is the challenge? We think no, it's such a big request. Well, it is, but it isn't. It isn't really. Not when Jesus tells us the Father is, Father's agenda is that we might bear much fruit. Not when we've got His Word planted in us, His Word which outlines God's plan to reach the nations. Not when He says that He will definitely answer our prayer. Have you been praying for this? I wonder. Not when Jesus tells us to love as he has loved us by laying down one's life for one's friends. Not when he actually tells us to go. It's kind of obvious. I'm praying, and I hope you'll join me, that from our church, God would raise up someone, some family, to go with the gospel, to be supported by the rest of us, to go across cultures, maybe across the seas, to bring the gospel somewhere. Our church, we're a good church. It should be our agenda. It's to the Father's glory that we go and bear much fruit, but also there's the need to be pruned, uh, which we turn to in the final few minutes. We've considered fruitfulness, now we consider the necessary pain requisite in being fruitful. Because remember that the two are linked, as we saw in verse two, the Father prunes every disciple who bears fruit so that they will be even more fruitful. A few years ago, I spoke to Andrew McDonough. He's the South Australian Baptist minister who put together the Basil the Branch series of books, right? I rang him up. I asked for his permission to use his pictures times like this. And we got chatting about John 15, and he told me of the sequel to Basil the Branch. It was Basil and the Secateurs. He said that the man who was working with him on the books lost his wife the year before. She died leaving him with their kids. And Andrew said that in writing the book, they had lots of chats about how God's pruning hurts and yet how over time it yields fruit. Now I was talking with someone Amongst us this week. And I said, You've been having a hard time. I'm speaking about being pruned. She said, I could do, I think I could do with a little less pruning actually at the moment. One thing we might do to help one another is to talk over morning tea about how God has pruned us and how that has, in the passage of time, made us even more fruitful. That would be good. In this passage, the main way the Father prunes his disciples is through persecution. And listening to what Jesus says, we see that while we're in the world, persecution is inevitable to some degree or another for every disciple of Jesus. The logic is easy to follow, but it's very hard to swallow. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you: a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. Easy to follow, hard to swallow. You stick up your hand for Jesus, even by simply saying you go to church, and you've declared yourself to be different to the world. You've said you're disciples of Jesus, not, or a disciple of Jesus, not a disciple of the world. You have different. Values. The world tolerates everyone who shares its values. It despises those who don't. Because the world hates a rival. Very tolerant of everyone who is the same. Very intolerant of people who are different. The world hates a rival, even someone as loving as Jesus. And even in tolerant, peaceful Australia. Except Australia isn't always tolerant or peaceful, is it? towards Christians. Israel Folau, who taught us the danger of speaking against the world. The manly seven rugby players showed us we can get in trouble for not wearing what the world wants us to wear. Andrew Thorborn showed us what could happen if we're even seen to associate with Jesus' disciples. Well we might think things are pretty bad for us. Guess what? It's always been this way. It's not unusual. Some people will hate you without even saying anything. But then we remember, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And then he says in verse 23, he who hates me hates my father as well. You hear what he's saying? He's saying there's no such thing as a non-Christian person who has known about Jesus but rejected Jesus, there is no such thing as such a person who also loves God. Because according to Jesus, if you hate him, you hate the Father who sent him. Now, that all may make us want to shrink back and keep our mouths shut, except for the end of the chapter, because there is another power at work in this world. And he is the spirit of truth who goes out from the father in verse 26. Because the spirit testifies to Jesus, Jesus' disciples cannot shrink back. Verse 27, you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, first of all, this, first and foremost, this is written to the 11. They were the ones who were living eyewitnesses of what Jesus did and said. But, Indirectly, it applies to us. From verse two, the Father's intent is that every branch on the vine would bear fruit. That is Jesus' agenda. That we bear much fruit, fruit that will last. This will come by speaking about him. Bearing fruit for the Father by remaining connected to the vine, this is what life comes down to. It is not primarily about Life isn't primarily about working hard to get your house paid off. It is not primarily about seeing ourselves or our kids educated in the best way possible with the best possible opportunities. Life is about bearing fruit for the kingdom that will last. What fruit? Well, people. People who are impacted by our love by the fruit of answered prayers, who respond to the word of Jesus so that they too can become a branch in Jesus' vine. How do we do it? Well, we remain in the vine. That's basic. It's not rocket science, but the longer I lived, you know, the, the more valuable it is to see people who've remained in the vine, who've gone the distance, remaining in Jesus' love, having their lives linked to Christ. You know, occasionally I'll go back to Sydney or something and I'll see someone who I knew decades ago. I was in Bible college with them. We were in church once. And then each of us, we haven't connected for years and we'll see one another and the question will be asked, do you still love the Lord Jesus? Yes. Do you? Yes. There's nothing better than hearing that answer. And when we talk and then talk about other people we knew, to hear that a branch has been broken off, um, fruitless, no faith at all. This is such a tragic sadness. You gotta remain in the vine. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's Jesus' promise. So that's how you bear fruit, you remain in the vine. You remain in His Word for answered prayers. It's very interesting tracking how your prayers change over the years, and that you know you can think of where God has powerfully answered your prayers, and often that correlates with how well at that point in our life we are letting ourselves being shaped by Jesus' Word. As we spend time in His words, our desires—so here's our desires, and here's His. Our desires and goals get better aligned with Jesus. And then so do our requests. And then that correlates with how often we see answered prayers. If you want your prayers to be fruitful, remain in Jesus' words, you see. And lastly, love and go. Whatever ministry you step up to, love the people you're serving. Love as Jesus has loved you. Um... The thing about being in church with the same group of people for a long time is that, you know, we have to bear with one another, don't we? I mean, you guys have to bear with me. Whew, Narelle knows how hard that is, but, you know you, you know, you guys have to do it as well. And Sally's smiling. Um, <laughs> um, but we have to bear with one another, don't we? Well, guess what? Jesus says love, so love the people you serve. You know, just love one another. It's hard. Yeah, I know. Jesus laid down his life. He said, do that. And go, do it. You know, we don't need an additional word from Jesus spoken into our life. Jesus appoints each of his disciples to go and bear fruit that will last. This applies to, well, those of us who are gonna step up and go into vocational ministry. And again, it's been a long time since this church has sent anyone out like that we should pray about it and encourage people. But it applies to all of us. You know, when I see people giving up their time to invest in our young people, to disciple them, this is exactly in line with how Jesus has appointed his disciples. i appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last. It's So good to see. When people here spend time immersing themselves in Jesus' words and then in prayer, this is exactly in line with what the Father wants. When parents or grandparents here actively choose to model a life of Christian discipleship to their children or grandchildren and to talk to them about the things of God, this is to the Father's glory. This is bearing fruit. When people here live with integrity and demonstrate the love of Christ to their school colleagues or their people at uni or people they work with, and then then when they notice It shows us to be his disciples. When faithfulness to Christ is shown in a hostile relational environment, that is pruning that over time will bear fruit. Our father wants us to bear fruit. We need to remain in the vine, love like he loves, obey him. This is the agenda he has prepared us for. It's what he wants. Father in heaven, Help us all to remain in the vine who is Jesus and we pray by remaining in him, by remaining in his word, you would bear fruit, fruit amongst each of us, fruit through us as we live in Christ. May this be to your glory, your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.